turn with me to 7, uh, starting in verse 14. And so last week we talked about, or Jesus, actually without saying it exactly like that, but he was giving a sermon to the Pharisees. And so Jesus was giving a sermon to the Pharisees, mainly saying that be careful, guard your heart, because if you begin to put man's tradition over Scripture, what begins to happen is an unraveling that ends up controlling people, being hypocritical, wanting to be seen as holy in, in external worship, ends up being a very dead religion. When the Scripture is not alive and front and center, in our life, it could be very dangerous. And so Jesus was showing us again the, that scripture is over tradition, but even uh, more so the, the inerrancy of scripture, which says that the Bible is true and the sufficiency of scripture that says the Bible is all we need. And Jesus was making that point last week. And this is kind of part two to that. And two questions we're gonna ask this morning, if you're taking notes is, what is truly wrong with the world? And what needs to happen? What's the remedy for what is wrong with the world? And so Jesus is continually uh, in this passage going to talk to the crowd and then he's going to talk to the disciples. So the first part, he's talking to the Pharisees, who's exposing their hearts, their dead religion. And then he begins to turn to the crowd and kind of give a uh, sort of an object lesson saying these Pharisees, and he's going to now expose their hearts and their dead religion, their hypocritical religion. And then he's going to turn to the disciples to give even more revelation to what's going on in the heart of man. And so today we're going to expose basically what the heart looks like. What is inside the heart of man? Can we, can we blame others for our sin? Is the Pharisees were always in the habit of blaming other people. Uh, they were... Uh, they had a very external religion. And so we're going to pick up with uh, verse 14. It says, and after he called the crowd to him, so you just talked to the Pharisees. He said, he began to saying to them, listen to me, all of you and understand. There is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. And then verse 16 And if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And so that plays again off of Mark 4, 24 and 25, that uh, if you don't use the information or revelation that God gives you, you lose it. And so listen to this. This is very important. This is going to help you uh, in your relationship with God uh, and with others. And he's saying, if you don't use this information, if you don't hear this revelation, you'll lose it and become increasingly hardened like the Pharisees. And so he's turning to the crowd to show grace. Do you know that every sermon you hear is the grace of God? It's given to you so that our hearts would change. And we know that the only way our hearts would change is by the power of the Spirit, by by the Holy Spirit using the Word of God, coming on on our, on our hearts to receive the word so that it would bring transformation to our lives. And what Jesus was doing without saying this and just giving you kind of a little bit of a background to kind of help you even more so understand what the Pharisees were doing, what their lives were about, what their religion was about and how they took it too far. 
And Jesus was exposing the, the fact that they took ceremonial washings way too far. The Old Testament ceremonial washings were always meant to be symbolic. It was always meant to say that for the priest to go through, these, through this ceremony to show the wickedness of our hearts, how we need cleansing, how we need washing. And so to illustrate that, they would, they would wash their hands. They would go through these washings. And so to, to show what's actually going on inside the heart. And the Pharisees obviously missed that. They obviously missed that. Like circumcision too as well. Uh, it was kind of an illustration of that, of cutting back the, the foreskin, if you will, of our hearts. Uh, it's saying that God wants to take away all the dirt, all the, uh, all the sin so that, so that we can have a pure relationship with God so that people, when they come to worship, they would worship him with a pure heart. God is not pleased with a heart that is impure in worship. In other words, with people that just want to be seen as holy. They go to church just to be seen as holy. They go to life group to be seen as holy. They say, I'm doing a quiet time every day. This is what God's telling me, whatever. And then behind the scenes, behind closed doors, as we talked about last week, that's who they truly are. Inside their mind, the way they think, the way they live their lives, even internally, I and mean, even behind closed door, without their friends seeing, maybe they are this way with their families or they're with, with uh, families back at home. No one will ever see that. And it's a, it's a hypocritical external religion. And God was saying that you can't even use the Old Testament ceremonial washing, Old Testament ceremonial washings as an excuse because that wasn't even the point, just to go through these rituals to be right with God that would never change a man's heart. That never changed anybody. And Romans 2, 28 to 29 says, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, which they were doing, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, right? It's an inward faith. It's a transformation from the inside out. And circumcision that is which of the heart, by the spirit, not the letter, Paul says. And his praise is not from men, but from God. So the Jews were copying their leaders, which were the Pharisees. And what they were doing is they were beginning to become very obsessed with outward external uh, religion and wanting the praise from men and going through the motions religiously, which we can find ourselves often in church of just catching ourselves every once in a while saying, why are we doing this? Why am I going to life group? Do I want to fellowship with the saints? Do I want to encourage one another? Do I want to read the scriptures? Is it, do I want to engage in what Acts 2, 42 to 47 talks about? Why am I getting up in the morning, spending time with God? Is it just because my life group leader is eventually going to ask me, did you spend time with God and his word? And a lot of times we can live our lives. That could be our life. And if we're not careful, if we don't allow God to expose the hypocriticalness of our heart, we could become harder and harder and harder. And now we don't even notice it anymore. And we totally blow off everybody that wants to help us in discipleship. And so Jesus is now turning to the crowd saying, hey, don't be like these people. Because these people totally missed the point. If, if, you, if, you take, if you take food in, it's simply just going to touch your stomach, right? And then it's going to come out the other end. And that's Jesus' point. 
He's saying it's not touching your heart. Food, dirty food can't touch your heart. You were, you going on a fast or uh, not going on a fast, eating a hot dog or eating, eating uh, pork or eating beef or eating beans, it doesn't really matter. That, that doesn't change a man. And so he's giving us a little bit of a theology lesson or maybe even physiology lesson. But that Hebrews 8, 5, I'm not going to read them all, but 8, 5, 9, 9 through 14, and then 10 uh, in Hebrews shows us over and over what these Old Testament sacrifices, what these rituals were ultimately pointing to. They were pointing to Christ. And they were saying that the, the writer of Hebrews, which is really a sermon, saying that these things were done in kind of a shadow that pointed to Christ one day. And, and all those were meant to point to a true relationship, true religion, which was an inside-out deal, not an outside-in, which, which was the religion of the Pharisees. In Matthew 15, you'd have to connect the dots. And looking at the synoptic gospels, it gives you a few more th- details that are really helpful for this. Matthew 15, 11 to 14 says, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement. Mark doesn't include that. Nonetheless, it's true. Matthew caught that. And they were offended by Jesus talking to them about uh, Corbin, if you remember last week. I'm not going to go through all that. You can listen to uh, last week's message online. But basically gave an illustration, said this is, this is what, how you're, it gave an illustration of the, the corruption of their hearts. And that they, they said, oh, the money that we have, we're giving to God. Therefore, we can't help our elderly parents. And really what they were doing is they found another loophole, which is often the case in humans, in us, in our hearts, is we find loopholes that we might look pious and, and godly to God and to each other. But the reality is we're finding these loopholes so that we can satisfy the flesh. And really they were going to take that money and they were going to use it for themselves They technically just couldn't give it to anyone else, but they themselves could use it even though it was Corbin for God. And so you could see the corruption. And so they said, do you know know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? This is the crowd saying, and Jesus says this. He's not really bothered by that. He doesn't give in to the fear of man. He says, every plant which my heavenly father did not plant shall be uprooted. In other words, I didn't plant these people. These aren't true believers. These are hypocrites. Let them alone. They are blind guides, blind the blind. They are blind guides uh, guiding the blind. <laughs> and if the blind man guides a blind man, both will fall in the pit. So, in other words, you're saying to the crowd, like these aren't your teachers. Don't listen to these people. There's plenty of false teachers out there today. Again, legalists. Uh, and people who may even teach the right stuff, but then behind the scenes, they don't live it right, and they uh, cast shade on the word of God. And so Jesus is exposing them for the protection of the people and then ultimately the protection of his own, the disciples. And he often does the same with us. But I thought it was kind of interesting that let's read on. It says, and when he left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked the parable. And he said to them, are you lacking understanding in this way as well? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him? In other words, they were, they were confused too because it does not go into the heart but into the stomach and goes to, uh, goes to the sewer, <laughs> goes into the toilet. 
Thus he declared all foods clean. And so his disciples were even dull. I like what this one commentator says. He says, the disciples are like a dog looking at the pointed finger of his master rather than the object to which the finger points. They are like people looking at stained glass windows of a cathedral from the outside. And their sight and understanding are correspondingly dull and lifeless. The disciples were dull and lifeless. They, were, they didn't understand. And I, I find a lot of comfort in that, honestly. Sometimes, you know, there, there's, there's truth being spoken to you. You know, even uh, maybe your uh, the people who disciple you or, or lead you in your life group or, or the elders, and, and they're trying to point something out to you. So simple, so clear. It's right there. And you're, you just don't get it. Have you ever been on either side of that? It's easy to do that. And it's easy to blame the disciples. Like, how could you be so dull? Um, it's, if you understand the truth of scripture is because the grace of God is working in you. And he's, he, it's a transformation of the heart. God, God's the only one that can do that. In fact, the power of the Holy Spirit. And so it's really easy to be dull, actually. It's hard to understand. It's hard to, to receive the revelation. And so Jesus then goes on to explain a little bit further what he means by this. But one little side comment that I think is helpful is that uh, he declared, it's in parentheses, but he declared all foods clean. And if you remember Peter in Acts 10, when he had that vision of all the animals on the blanket, all the unclean animals, and, and God says, go kill and eat. And Peter's like, I ain't touching that stuff. And God, God had to tell him again, same vision. Hey, you're, again, the dullness. He's not understanding. He's stubborn. And it's interesting. They were stubborn in this, in this instance because they, they bought into a superficial religion just like the Pharisees. And look, apart from the Holy Spirit, we would all buy into a superficial external religion. That is common to man. That is easy. That is far more easier than being a man or a woman of integrity. And so we could see the, the humanness even in the disciples of really not quite getting it and how they thought that holiness and godliness would come from the outside by simply maybe washing their hands, they would remain holy. And Jesus is saying food doesn't defile Man, the environment around you, the environment all around the outside does not change a person because it never touches their heart. The problem is with the heart. And Jesus is going to further unpack that, what that actually means. But all foods and all Old Testament food, he was be, even beginning to help the Jewish people understand that all those things of the Old Testament were just... Uh, symbols, um, pictures of, of what to refrain from pork or to refrain from, you know, lobster or the, the, the shellfish from the bottom of the ocean. Uh, th those kinds of things, uh, certain animals you couldn't eat because God was showing them, hey, stay away from these things. In other words, be set apart from, from dirt from the spiritual dirt, set, be set apart from the world. And he was showing us physically what that might look like. 
It's like baptism. Baptism doesn't save you, but it certainly, it certainly shows you that when you go into the waters, like going into the grave, dying, and then coming up a new person. And so these people were taking it far, uh, they were taking it too far, and, and they were beginning to be comfortable in an, in, a, in an external religion. And really, Mark is saying here, it's not Jesus's words per se. It's, if you have a red letter Bible, you'll see that, that it's marked in black lettering. It just says, and thus he declared all foods clean. I wonder if he's referring to uh, the book of Acts and when he had that experience and seeing that all those Old Testament requirements were done away with. And he was, uh, it's, so in other words, you could have bacon. Eat bacon. Bacon's good. May not be good for you. Never said that. <laughs> uh, I suppose you could eat lobster as much as you want. I suppose you got to be careful of the mercury content and all that. But, but eat ham, eat bacon, live it up. Might as well. You're going to die eventually. So, but he declared all foods clean. In other words, hey, look, just relax. You guys are all uptight about making sure all the food laws are set in place. Meanwhile, your heart's corrupt. You could see the problem with this. You could see how easy it is. If I told you uh, just to make sure that every Sunday you wear a red shirt. Make sure you wear that. You'll please God. It'll remind you of the blood of Jesus, you know, or whatever. I don't know. You got to wear it. That's far easier than lusting after a woman, isn't it? It's far easier than being envious with your neighbor. External religion is easy. It's far easier to do that. And that's what he's, he's ultimately exposing. And then later, in, later into the New Testament, you'll read uh, one of the last letters of the New Testament canon. It's from Paul in 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. In latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention, listen, to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. What are those? Uh, it's hypocrisy of liars, he says, who have been seared in their own conscience. We talked about the searing of, of a conscience that's not good, who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods, which God created to be shared with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything God created by... Uh, everything uh, created by God is good. Eat that. Marry. It's good. God gave you these gifts. Enjoy creation. But the legalists come around and say, what can we do to, 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 uh, to add to Scripture? Because those additions are far easier than the word itself, than the inspired word itself. And so be careful because as parents, you'll add rules. In other words, when you watch your kid and they're nice to everybody, they say please and thank you. And then they're a devil at home. How is that? It's not the environment. It's, it's not the food that they eat. Although, yes, if you do give them red dye and yellow number 40 and blue number 55 and all that, that... that, that in other words, M&Ms, that, that, might, <laughs> that might cause them to act up just a, a bit more. But certainly Jesus never listed M&Ms or any of the food dyes as the human problem, right? He never gave that as a reason. 
So let's read on, verse 20. And he was saying that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For within, out of the heart of men, proceed this, evil thoughts, sexual moralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. It's a mouthful for sure. And not to be, I don't want to dwell on this, but I also don't want to just scan over this. Um, and all these, all these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. So the Bible is clear that it starts off with the heart and then it leads to thoughts, right? You have a corrupt heart that inevitably gives you bad thoughts. And then the, the thoughts will lead to what? Speech. And speech will lead to actions. And I suppose a thought could lead to an action without the speech. You get that. But that's kind of the progression that happens. That's the problem with man. That's the problem with the world is the heart. And so he lists the actions first. So he starts off with fornications. He starts off with sexual moralities. And that word in the Greek is pornea. It's just it, it, it's where you get the word pornography from. It's sexual sin of all kind. It's, it's perversions. It's, it, it's perversion in the mind. It's perversion in the speech. Sexual perversion in actions. It covers the whole thing. In other words, someone just can't say, well, it's, you know, I, I've never committed physical adultery, so therefore uh, I have nothing to do with fornication. God says that if you even have a sexual thought that is perverse in the mind, that you are committing fornication. And so theft, you get klepto, which you get the word kleptomaniac. If, you're, if you've heard that before, it just means a, a serial thief. Um, it's just the, the word klepto just means the uh, theft. Cheating on taxes, that could be anywhere, anything from stealing hours on the job. Uh, if you're supposed to be doing work, but you're watching baseball, uh, you know, uh, that wouldn't, uh, probably, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like all you Robin Hood people and people that have to sit, you know, on the computer all day long and you're dilly-dallying and other things and totally stealing from your work. Uh, it's, it's in the name, Robin Hood. You're all thieves. <laughs> no, just kidding. Totally kidding. Totally kidding. But how about this for students? Plagiarism is a big deal taking somebody else's thoughts and putting them on paper and making them, everyone think that they're yours. Murders, uh, taking one's life, but then Jesus, of course, in Matthew 5, takes it up a notch, doesn't he? And he says that it's also when you're angry, malice in your heart. As you know, all murders start there anyways. No one just haphazardly just goes around and kills somebody is because of malice and hatred and let it fester over time. And then it leads to physical, but Jesus is saying that uh, I even count the thoughts of the heart. Adulteries, this is a different kind. This is the specifically violating the marriage covenant. It's physical. And then deeds of coveting, this is anywhere from greed and materialism of any kind of wanting someone's life or wife or gifting and materials. God, that's not fair. They have that gifting. I really want that. They have that house. It, 
as people start to buy houses in the church, you know, it's really easy to envy. Man, if we would have just waited that much more, we could have had that house and that would have been more. It just becomes that. We're a suburban church. It's so easy. And you might think, well, it's somebody else's fault. You know, it's, it's my boss. He didn't give me a raise, therefore I couldn't get the house, whatever. No, it's in the heart. It's no one else's fault. Wickedness, he says, that's kind of a summary of the, all the perversions from above. So the first, the first section uh, in verse 21 basically uh, talks about all the actions, s- sinful actions. The second half, what Jesus talks about, starting with, uh, uh, starting with deceit, um, and, and he, he starts, well, I guess it goes into 22 technically. But the second half are the attitudes of the heart. They're even more um, deceptive, I believe. That again, you know, you know what you're doing in, in action a lot more than maybe what's going on in the mind. But the first one he, he, in the mind is dolos, which just means craftiness or lying or deceiving. You know those little white lies? It's not a full-blown lie, right? I mean, very rarely would probably a room like this, churched, would just flat out like look at someone and just flat out lie. It's just the subtleties. It's like maybe an exaggeration of a story to, to maybe look good in front of your friends and you just take it a little too far and they, you get a good laugh and everybody happy and then you go home and you realize I took it too far. It's the deception, the lying, the craftiness, deceit. In other words, uh, you know, Jesus um, or James even says that, that all speech comes out of the heart, right? James 3, remember him saying that. In fact, in, in, uh, he's pulling on Old Testament uh, understanding of maybe even Proverbs in 6.12, the wicked walks with a perverse mouth. And Proverbs 15, the, the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. And so the, the problem is not with somebody else, it's, it's inside. The reason why something bad, like profanity comes out of the mouth is because there's something not right in the heart in the moment. It's not random. There's nothing random about this. And Jesus is saying it's, there's, it's, it's all out of the heart. You see all these sins, this is no one's fault but man's because of the heart. Sensuality is lust or dirty, undisciplined mind. It's uh, like licentiousness, uh, wanton, abandoned pleasure. That's what this has to do with sensuality. Envy, uh, where you get the word um, like ophthalmologist, it's, it's the same kind of Greek root word as evil eye. It's an evil eye. It's very interesting that Jesus, that the, the language there, it's full of jealousy, hatred. It's the same sin that Cain had when he killed Abel. It's that evil. It's looking with people with, with they call it an evil eye because it's, it's looking with, it eventually it leads to malice and it leads to murder, but it's looking at somebody with covetousness. It's wanting what they have. It's wanting what they want or what they, what they uh, may be given as a gift or, or material pleasures or um, uh, children. It could be even be a better marriage. Uh, why do they have it better than I do? It just if you if you don't if you don't catch that, it just it could get worse. Slander, blasphemia, uh, just is abusive, injurious speech towards others. It's bringing others down. It's just saying subtle things, subtle things. 
about somebody, about a leader, about uh, your family members, it's, uh, people in your household, roommates, just subtle things that are not blatant and like, wow, I can't believe you said that about them, but just enough to, to, you know, to move them in a direction where they may not respect them. They may not uh, like them anymore. You, you're wanting in some ways to, it's malicious in a sense. It's, it, you're wanting them to not like that person. So you just do it in subtle ways. And, and the more religious you are, the more crafty you are. And then pride, uh, the last one here, and then he sums it up with this whole thing is just foolishness. But you know what pride is, arrogance, boasting, superiority over others. Um, uh, just thinking you're better than other people. Uh, rebellion can be. But foolishness, it's interesting. He says foolishness at the end and foolishness. And he sums up the sins of the heart, the attitudes of the heart. And it reminds me of Romans 1, 18 to 32. If you want to read that later, we don't have time to read that. But that's, a, that's, that's what sin ultimately is. It's foolishness. It's foolishness. And uh, this folly will ultimately ruin you, right? I mean, it starts off by, you know, Romans 1, if you remember, it starts off with, uh, you know, sexual morality. And then, and then, it, start, and then it, it gets even more perverse there. It's a downward spiral. And then it gets to homosexuality and all the perversions. And then even more from there, it, it, it's a, uh, God then gives us over to a depraved mind where you just, it, do, you're, you're, it doesn't work anymore. Your mind doesn't work anymore. It's hardened, it's seared, it's gone. And God gives you over to that when you continue to persist in these things. And that's, that should terrify any one of us. That that's ultimately God's judgment on a nation. Judgment on a church. Judgment in the world is just to, instead of knocking them out like he did with Sodom and Gomorrah, he says, no, I'll let you live 80, 90 years, but with a depraved mind. It's like hell inside before you get to the hell outside. It's a horrible state that only God can change. He can, he's the only one that can change it. So really... Certainly the problem with man isn't that he keeps his hands washed, right? I mean, I think we see the silliness of that now that we've unpacked that. Certainly the problem with man is not that he keeps his hand washed, not that he goes through these Old Testament ceremonial washings, that he, he you know, as, as he washes his fingernails, making sure he gets the, like we talked about last week, the demon off his fingernails so he doesn't eat it. The problem is that his heart needs to be transformed and so I want to take you through, uh, just for a moment, just some of the things that, it, that we do as humans to, it, to make excuses to why we have sin, why there's sin in the world. You might, be in a, you might be in a school, you might be a teacher in a school, and all you see all day are, are, are rebellious kids, and, and you got a principal that's kind of giving you the reason why they're like that. You got other teachers tell, telling you the reason why they're like that. Then you got parents telling you the reason why they're like that. And then you got the Bible telling you the reason why they're like that. Right? And in every category, you can see that. So we start with family, right? So people say, well, you know, it's my upbringing. It's my mom and dad's fault. They let me down. That's why I am the way I am. I envy because they did. I, uh, you know, I, I lash out in anger because that was what was modeled. Now, that might be somewhat true. That's, it, it triggers you. 
But anger is inside of a man because the heart is corrupt. Education might be an issue. You know, this is the school's fault. When I grew up, I grew up in, a, I, I went to UCF, very liberal school. It's the liberal teachers. It's, it's uh, too little funding. You know, we didn't have enough good books. You know, we were in a poor section of town. And so, or the classrooms are way too big. I, I never got attention. I didn't get the, the good classroom attention. It was like 40 to one. And I would have been a better kid if it was 12 to one. And then government, it's not enough policies, right? It's all we hear. You got to get more policies, more policies. You know how many people are in Washington right now are, are, are basically doing this? We need more policies because we need to change. We need to change man. We need, we need, I mean, sometimes I wish I was one of the judges there. Look, let's turn to Mark chapter seven. Let me tell you what's going on around here, you know? Nah, don't want any religion. Well, then stay the same. Stay the same. Because your life's not going to change. And neither are those people until you understand this. It's the only way man is going to change. So we listen to the words of Jesus. Then there's the work environment. Maybe my boss isn't fair. He's, always, he's antagonistic. He's not a Christian. And that's why I don't perform well. No, you don't perform well because you're lazy. Yeah, that's the reality of it, right? Or maybe it's psychology. The negative side, uh, uh, the negative outside environment is what is affecting you. It's the pollution, right? It's, it's your parents. And I love this. I, 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 I love how the Bible answers questions because it's not psychology because he uses the word defile, which means to per- pollute or make unclean. He mentions this five times in this message or this little tiny passage here. And then in the Hebrew Old Testament, the same word is used 230 times. Let me say something. The heart of man is in God's dominion, not psychology. It, it's, it's in our world. This is, we get, to do, we get to talk about the matters of the heart rightfully because it comes from this book. It's not psychology. They, they, in UCF or any of the colleges in America, they define what's the problem with man's heart. They've hijacked that from us. Psychology will never answer man's problem. Man's problem is sin. Man's problem is their heart is corrupt. It has nothing to do with education, government, psychology. It is not in their domain. In other words, you'd have every right to tell someone who has a PhD in psychology, this is not in your domain. It is in God's domain because it says that right here. It is not in anyone else's domain, but God's. That's terrifying. That means you can't figure this out with man-centered ideologies. You cannot change man's heart. No policy will do that. No governmental policy will do that. Not more money, not more funding, not more pats on the back, not more trophies when you lose. Nothing will change your heart but God. 
not an increase of, uh, of self-esteem. We just need to encourage kids a little bit more. We're a little harsh on them. We need to just, you know, whatever, that, whatever new book is coming out, throw it away. Don't listen to it. Tune it out. If you have to subject yourself to the garbage in the classroom at UCF, just tune it out because it is false. It's false. And be careful if you have a psychology degree or if you're getting a psychology degree, I would actually recommend maybe you change that because it's not going to help you or anyone else that you counsel unless it's physiological Unless it's maybe something chemical, which maybe medicine can help that. And I do think that there are those kinds of problems. But we're talking about sin in man's heart. That is different. That is an entirely different issue. I love what uh, Luther says. Man does not do evil against his will under pressure as though he were taken by the scruff of the neck and dragged into it. Like a thief being dragged off against his will to punishment but he does it spontaneously and voluntarily. And this willingness or volition is something which he cannot in his own strength eliminate, restrain, or alter. You can't do anything about it. You can't blame other people as if somebody's making you do it, right? I mean, we saw that in, what is it, the the Academy Award just recently, right? The devil made me do it. Yeah, right. No, anger made you do that. Your sinful heart made you do that. Don't blame anyone else. Don't make a mockery of Christianity. Superstition, superstitious religion, people, the demon's on my hands. Uh, I, I, you know, that's why I'm a little irritated today is because I ate a demon. Try telling that to your wife. <laughs> Religious... Uh, Mindsets. I mean, it may, perhaps, you know, Gentiles and Samaritans are dirty people and they might rub off on me in the market. Think how stupid that sounds, right? After reading this, no wonder the Pharisees are like, I'm, you know, the crowd's like, do you know you hurt their feelings? Whoa. Just, come on, let's just go inside and have some lunch. Of course I hurt their feelings. Ryle says this, the wickedness of men is often attributed to bad examples, bad company, peculiar temptations, sound familiar, or the snares of the devil. It seems forgotten that every man carries within him a fountain of wickedness. We need no bad company to teach us. We need no devil to tempt us in order to to run into sin. We have within us, listen, we have within us the beginning of every sin under heaven. There's potential for everything under the sun. You read something in the news, you're like, oh, never do that. Back up that thought for a second. I would do that apart from the grace of God. Right? More Ryle. The seeds of all the evils here mentioned lie, hide within all of us. They may lie dormant all of our lives. They may keep down by the fear of consequences, that's religion, the restraint of public opinion, more religion, the dread of discovery, the desire to be thought respectable. That's why this is man's way of restraint. But man restrains because they don't want to look bad on the outside. They don't want to deal with the consequences. But that's not a transformed heart. 
And above all, the almighty grace of God, which does restrain sin. But listen, but every man has within him the root of every sin. So that's what Jesus is telling us this morning that it's from within and out of the heart, verse 21, out of the heart of men, not the outside, but the inside that precedes all these evil things. And by way of illustration, when you eat some food, it goes in, maybe perhaps clean, it doesn't matter, but it comes out and that's what defiles. It goes into the sewer, into the toilet, into the sewer. It's just a simple illustration to show us what's going on, that what comes out of us is defiling. What comes out of us spiritually is defiling. And that's what ruins our lives. And the problem with the world is not outside of you. The problem with the world is what is inside of you. In other words, you can't blame anyone else for what's going on in the world. The problem is you. You. Me. We're the problem. Every day we add to the problem in our sin. And there's only one remedy and that is a transformed heart. It is not with the environment. It's with the heart. So let me just read a few passages under the, uh, the doctrine of depravity of man, which we've done many times, but I think it's worth just, again, going back to Scripture and letting the Word of God speak to help us understand what's really going on, and then we'll see the remedy here in about uh, 10 minutes. Because <laughs> it's going to take me a while to get through these passages. So Psalm 51.5, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in my sin my mother conceived me. It's from birth. And we know that. In fact, in Romans 5, 12 and 19, therefore, just as through one man's sin entered the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin through one man's disobedience, the many were appointed sinners. In other words, you came out sinful, therefore you sin. Sinners sin. That's what they do naturally. And that's what all of us do. And I really wish the world would understand this. And I think it's really good for you guys to not in some mean-spirited way, but to help our, help the world understand when, you know, like your neighbors, you know, those little talks you have when you pull the garbage can down the street, whatever. And the, you go get the mail. It's like, oh, what's the problem with the world? And no, the world is just, oh, I can't believe the world. Oh, the world, those guys. No, you're the problem <laughs> and me. <laughs> It's always those guys. It's all the Democrats. <laughs> Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is more deceitful than all else. It is desperately sick. Who can know it? Can get more clear. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3, 23. And listen to Romans 3, 10 to 18. There is none righteous, not even one. Not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. There's no God seekers. There's no such thing as a seeker sensitive church because there are none. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. There is none who does good, not even one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they keep deceiving. 
The poison of asps, which is vipers or snakes, is under their lips, just ready to lash out at somebody. It's because of their heart, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. They're quick. They run to sin. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That is the problem with the world. That is the problem with the world. People might say, well, what's going on with Russia and Ukraine? Can't they just stop? It's because they're sinful. They rush to shed blood because of their heart is corrupt. It has nothing to do with the economy. You cannot blame Putin. You cannot blame Biden for your problems. You cannot blame people for their issues. You have an issue and it's called sin and it comes from birth. And you cannot escape sin unless God touches your heart. Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, and you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, which is Satan, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all also formerly conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, doing the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even those of rest. And so Matthew 23, you could read that later, 23, 13 to 36. The prevailing thought of the day is if you're okay on the outside, we're good. We're good. The problem is, is Jesus is exposing that and saying, no, the problem is inside and eventually it will come out. Eventually it will come out. How many of you know that's true in your own life? If you're anger, you're, you know, you got anger and you got offense and it's just like, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Everyone's like, oh, you're good, man. What a, what a pious person. Maybe we should, you know, uh, upgrade this man to a, li- a life group and a life group leadership. And, you know, he, he's, he, should, he, he should lead something because he's so pious. But inside he's full of dead man's bones. He's full of pride. He's full of offense. He's full of slander. You better believe that'll come out. And everybody's shocked. I can't believe he did that. Don't be shocked at people's sin. Be shocked at their transformation because it's the grace of God working in them. Joseph uh, Alleyne, he's a Puritan. He says this, God finds nothing in man to turn his heart, but enough to turn his stomach. Thought that was pretty good. Catchy, pithy. And so Ferguson follows up. He says this, Sinclair Ferguson, the environment simply triggered off their sinful hearts. I'm not denying the fact that from the outside that there can be triggers. I'm not saying that if you know someone has a short fuse, that if you begin to press some buttons, right, the problem now is with you because you know, you, you, you know you're pressing their button, you're causing them to sin. And, and that, tr- that could trigger them. That could legitimately trigger them. But still, the, we don't blame the other person because they're triggering you. You have anger inside and they have a problem too. He's saying, look, it, it, the environment simply triggers sinful hearts, but, is, but the root is sin. 
No amount of isolation from the world could ever protect them from the power of sin in their hearts. And so you might be there, I'm just going to get away from the world. I'm going to go and I'm going to, find, I'm going to be a monk. And that's going to be the way we fix this problem. So I'm going to go to the hills of Santa Clarita, California. Clarita, is that right? Clarita, California. The, the wonderful rolling hills above Los Angeles where nobody lives on those hills, way deep north in the grapevine. And I'm just going to sit there in a little cabin. I'm going to eat by myself. I'm going to shut off all the news because I won't want any triggers. And um, I'm just going to mind my own business. And then you realize you're stuck with your thought life. And then you might start talking to yourself. And not good things would start coming out of your mouth. And you're like, forget this. I'm going back to the city. And you realize you're full of sin. And you need a transformed heart. And it's nobody's problem but yourself. So what's the cure to all this? What's the cure Martin Luther says the most damnable, perniculous heresy that has ever plagued the mind of man was the idea that somehow he could make himself good enough to deserve to live with an all-holy God. We cannot change ourselves. We cannot isolate ourselves from bad people. We cannot wash our hands enough and do enough externals to change our heart. This is what Jesus says in John 3, 5 through 6. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water... And in the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which he has, has been born of the flesh is flesh. That which has been born of the spirit is spirit. And what he was referring to is Ezekiel 36, verse 24, which I'll read here. And I will take you from the nations and gather you from the lands and bring you into your own land. And then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. He's not talking about just physical water. He's talking about the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the only thing that's going to change you is the washing of the Holy Spirit. He says, I will cleanse you from all uncleanliness and from your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk into my statutes. It's the only way we'll change. The only way they'll be able to actually love God with all of our heart, to actually worship him and please him and fellowship with him. And actually enjoy it. And you will be careful to do all my judgments when I do this, when I regenerate your heart. It's a miracle. That's the greatest miracle, is regeneration. Titus 3, 4, and 7 says, When the kindness and the affection of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not by works, which we did in righteousness, but according to his mercy, through the washing of the regeneration, the renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we would become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Isn't that wonderful? It's all by grace. It's saying, God, I understand this. If you're here this morning, you're thinking, man, I, I, I do that. I, I, I just, every time I sin, it's like I'm thinking, okay, it's because of this, 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 and this. And until you actually come to grips that the problem is you, that the problem is inside of you, not outside of you, then God can begin to work on your heart. You might be, you might be regenerated. You might be walking with God. A majority of you are. 
And you might think, well, I still struggle with these things. I mean, as you're saying, sexual moralities and thefts and murders, I mean, in the subtle ways, I mean, maybe not in, I'm not a, you know, a thief. I don't go into Walmart and take something and leave, but all the other things you talked about and plagiarism and other things and white lies, I, I struggle with these things. They're still in my heart. What do I do? You cry out to God. It's the same crying out to God that you did when you, were saved, when you got saved for the first time, that it's a continual going back to the Lord saying, Jesus, wipe all my sins clean. I want a fellowship with you. I don't want these things to be here. I, I want to hate my sin like you hate it. In fact, Psalm 139 is a great way, great place to start. Verses 23 and 24, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. It's not navel gazing. It's not trying to find something. I mean, if you're really having a hard time trying to find something, just ask your wife. She will tell you. Ask your kids, they will tell you. Ask your roommate, they will tell you. I guarantee you, you will not have to search. But if you are by yourself and you are walking with God, you're driving, you're at the stoplight, you're in the middle of taking a break, you're going for a walk at the workplace, you might say something along these lines. God, I had a hard time listening to that message on Sunday. I had a hard time even finding places that you know, would bring conviction. Now, would you show me my heart? Would you let me know if there's anything in me that is displeasing or anything, as he says, hurtful in me? And would you lead me in the path of everlasting life? It's a wonderful prayer, isn't it? It's a very practical prayer, something we should have on our lips and our hearts all the time because this is happening, whether we know it or not, in our hearts. So as we close, um, I've been, been reading uh, J.C. Ryle's biography because I, I want to know how a man ticks. I love quoting him all the time. You hear his quotes all the time. And, but I, I love this man. I'm like, I, I feel like I, he's rolling around in my head often. Uh, I, I kind of get him um, as I'm preparing. And then, but I thought I would pick up the biography and just read a little bit. And, and I didn't know this, but... Apparently, he didn't read the Bible seriously until he was age 21. But he grew up in a, kind of everybody did during that time. They grew up in the church, um, in the church environment, churchy household. Um, But as he was kind of reflecting back at when he was 25, he was reflecting four years back at his conversion at 21. And he had heard a pastor talk on Ephesians 2, and by grace you've been saved. And and it really took about six months because he he had gotten deathly ill. He was... um, uh, bedridden for, for a while. Uh, and God began to take him through this kind of the searching of the heart. And he realized how wicked his heart was. He, he got to really sense that for the first time and said, man, I, when I was in college, I, you know, I, I would get away with so much. It's like, I, I, you know, maybe you know that with your own life, you just got away with a lot, you know, and it just, you, you know how much you got away with and you kind of wish you got caught more. Uh, it was kind of brought to justice or brought to discipline. Um, it says in Hebrews 12 that when we, when we have the discipline of God, it brings joy into our lives because we know we're his. So J.C. Ryle was just struggling with this and he realizes his heart and, and as he was reflecting back on his life of just, 
the evilness of his heart, the wickedness of his heart, as he's looking even at Matthew 15 and and Mark 7, he says this, it is easy to be a convert from one party to another party, from one sect to another sect, from one set of opinions to another set of opinions. Such conversions save no one's soul. What we all want is a conversion from pride to humility from high thoughts of ourselves to lowly thoughts of ourselves, from self-conceit to self-abasement, from the mind of a Pharisee to the mind of a publican. Remember the tax collector, Luke 18. A conversion of this kind we must experience if we have hope to be saved. It's a transformation of the heart. It's not even a set of belief systems. It's not just trying harder to read the word and trying harder to live, to to live more righteously. That's not what he's talking about. He says, these are the conversions. This this pride to humility, this this self-conceited mindset to self-abasement, to to this self-righteous pride of the Pharisee, to to, uh, beating your chest like the publican. God can only do that. He says, these conversions are only wrought by the Holy Spirit. God can only do that. And I'll tell you, that should terrify everybody in the room saying we are at his mercy and rightfully so. And that is the place we need to start. He said, true greatness consists not in receiving, but in giving, not in selfish absorption of good things, but imparting good to others, not in being served, but in serving, not in sitting still, but ministering to others. That is a transformed heart. And if you think this morning saying, man, I do not have that, then perhaps you need to be saved. Perhaps you need a new heart for the first time. And if you are saved and you're struggling with these sins, just go to God, your heavenly father, and say, Father, I'm not living right. And these things are in my heart and I want them gone. And he will answer that prayer. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are listening to us, that you love us, that you want to transform our hearts. That's why you came. That's why you sent Jesus. 